In the TIPBS podcast, you get great ideas and practical advice for educators. You can get more invaluable insights and free resources by subscribing to the TIPBS monthly newsletter. Visit www.tipbs.com and register your email address. TIPBS podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kay Eyre. In this episode, we interview Tom Brunzel. Tom began his career in education as a Teacher for America member in the Bronx area of New York City. Tom co-founded KIPP Infinity Charter School as Dean of Students and Literacy Teacher. He worked with students and their families, supervised teachers through classroom observation and curriculum feedback. Additionally, He was team leader in the University of Pennsylvania to develop character education and the character report card with Dr. Martin Seligman and Dr. Angela Duckworth. He now serves as senior advisor teaching and learning for Berry Street Childhood Institute in Victoria, Australia. Tom and his team at Berry Street have just launched the Berry Street Model of Education, a trauma-informed approach to education. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Kay. Thanks for having me today. It's wonderful to have you. I was wondering, could you start by talking to us about your background and how you became interested in the educational needs of children and young people with trauma? Sure. Thank you very much. So I started as a teacher in the Bronx, uh, as you said, as part of a TFA uh, core member program. And uh, initially I taught uh, upper primary in the middle years. And in the Bronx, uh, and those of your uh, students will know uh, if they know New York, uh, my school was a couple blocks away from Yankee Stadium, so right there in the heart of the Bronx. And uh, although uh, my colleagues and I up there were very well-meaning, and I think we had a quite shared values around the value of public education and all of the things that we were trying to do. We did not yet understand about how to integrate resilience and uh, care, uh, you know, a strengths-based approach to uh, whole school design at that point because the research wasn't there. Mm. So we did our best. And the way I like telling my story is in, in uh without having uh, enough of my own personal strategies uh, as a teacher to increase the learning of my students in both well-being and academics, I sort of lost myself a little bit and I became a very angry teacher because I was mirroring, now I understand I was mirroring the anger of the students and the frustration and all of the systemic influences that were making learning so difficult for them. Uh, So fast forward, I became a leader in that school, and then I was asked to co-found the Kip Infinity Charter School at 133rd and Broadway. And it was there, um, over a decade ago, that we started to become very interested in how to integrate the best of what we now understand to be well-being research into a whole school approach. Thus, I had the great fortune, the right place at the right time, to work with Martin Seligman and Angela Duckworth of the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, And those two fine academics and researchers and uh, educational research leaders uh, really have prioritized well-being, student flourishing, grit, perseverance, 
uh, and how do teachers use the best of positive psychology research in uh, very uh, complex classrooms. And mm -hmm. so I have particular concerns around uh, student behavior management, as I'm well aware of your work in trauma-informed uh, positive behavior support. Mm -hmm. uh, I, uh, the, I think values-wise, our work marries up quite well. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, in one of your recent academic publications, Tom, you conducted a systematic review of the research relating to how best to support children who have experienced abuse and neglect. So I was wondering if you could just talk to us briefly about your understanding of what trauma-informed practice means for teachers. Absolutely, thank you. So uh, it's, a, it's a nice lead in to continue the story of how I became an Australian. So, <laughs> Berry Street, Victoria. So Berry Street is Victoria's largest child and family welfare organization. Primarily, we are a major subcontractor of the Department of Health and Human Services here in Victoria. So our business is looking at childhood vulnerability and specifically out-of-home care. So that would be foster care, residential care, clinical and psych support services, and family violence, as well as a range of education services mm -hmm. and we do run a small independent school here in Victoria uh, in Ballarat, in Morwell, Noble Park and Shepparton for secondary school students who have been excluded from education. So we very much are working with uh, what we know to be the most vulnerable students here in Victoria and vulnerability and trauma's effect on childhood or early childhood certainly go hand in hand when we're looking at why some of our students struggle. So uh, I'd like to say if New York City represented the strengths-based, well-being-informed part of my work, then coming to Victoria begins to form the second half of this coin, um, the post-traumatic growth part of my work and the trauma-informed part of my work. And what Barry Street was trying to do was understand how to integrate uh, what we now understand to be the science of well-being into trauma-informed practice. So I, uh, two things happened at once. One, we started to pilot interventions in our own school, and then I became a PhD um, student at the University of Melbourne with Professor Lee Waters and uh, Associate Professor Helen Stokes, uh, who are very much part of the architects of what we do. And there, um, under the, uh, the, the wise supervision of those two folks, you can imagine what yeah. happens to a phd -er when they say, okay, you're interested in trauma-informed practice and you need to look at every single trauma-informed practice model in the world and publish something that shows both the umbrella themes and what educators can learn from a wide systematic review and then understand what we can contribute to this field. So uh, after doing that, and uh, you have the publication, very proud of it, um, yes. what we found is there are two umbrella themes that uh, come forward in trauma-informed practice for teachers. Those two themes are building self-regulatory capacities. So when I say self-regulation, I'm speaking about both emotional self-regulation and physical regulation. So mind-body connection, mind-body de-escalation. Um, certainly mindfulness is a powerful intervention toward that end. Yeah. And then the second umbrella domain is relational capacities. And the two things from the trauma-informed literature that, that uh, the, the field is saying is our students must be able to develop a strong sense of self-regulation and relationship in the classroom. Certainly, we know that students will learn more 
and learn better for teachers that they believe are there for them, have unconditional positive regard for them. Um, certainly vulnerable students yeah. absolutely are expert. I like to say vulnerable students are expert in authenticity. They absolutely know who is really there for them and who has high expectations for them and who, who, uh, who's not sure. Um, how to teach them. And so we strengthen teacher practice through our work. But I'd also like to link those two domains of self-regulation and relationship to a couple of other uh, fields, which is what our work does. Mm -hmm. So certainly when it comes to the character strengths work and specifically the VIA character strengths work that was pioneered by Seligman and Peterson around 2004, um, now due to worldwide research, we're pretty certain that there are two key character strengths that students must have that are arising out of the well-being leadership. And those two character strengths are self-regulation and what the positive psychologists will label love and what we at Berry Street sort of connect love very quickly to your ability to attach to other people. Uh, attachment theory that yep. will strong, durable relationships are important. And then I link those two ideas of self-regulation and relationship to what we now suspect is uh, imperative for 21st century learners. So, you know, 21st century learning where you must be creative and collaborative and you have to have strong relationships through your learning journey. You know, to be self-regulated in the uncertainty of learning and to form strong relationships to bolster your learning, those two same capacities are the two capacities on the other side that trauma and early childhood trauma deeply impacts and impedes. So we can see now why the, the, the two skills that must occur for our young people to be successful in an unknown future are the two things that they have had compromised in their early childhood experiences often. Mm, yeah. Oh, that, yes, that's wonderful. Thank you. It um, is, I, I like that. I mean, I think it's, it's fascinating and helpful that there are themes that run through the what we might call a therapeutically informed education and a well-being informed education. And I, as a as a teacher and a teacher leader, uh, I do like it when themes come up because teachers are very busy and they have a lot to do. So we try to unify these messages in uh, strategy uh, strategy sets for them. Mm. And it gives you, as a teacher, something to to visualize and and actually hang on to doesn't it rather than thinking it's all swimming around out there and i don't actually know what i can cling on to 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 try and begin to make a difference you've got something concrete we have something concrete and i think it's so important because the teachers i know here in victoria and across the country that we get to work with uh, they want to do their best. And when teachers complain about the endless carousel of new ideas and new fads, like we totally understand that. Yeah. So what we're trying to do in our work is validate those of us who've been working this way for years and just need the language and the research to put on top of what we're doing to spread the good word and be able to supervise our other colleagues well. Uh, but we also want to inspire people to learn this stuff. Uh, it's, you would not be surprised, Kay, in your own work, that often when we work closely with staffing groups, the eager front row are first-year teachers who are yes. seriously taking down notes. And I look at them and I say, 
you know, do you, is this a review for you? Have you done this in your, in your training? And they say, no, not yet, you know, because our training was jam-packed. And I understand that too. So we have a role to play as a community service organization and as a knowledge institute. Uh, one more thing I got to sneak in there, which I think might be useful for your uh, students and other participants here, is um, we see everything we do as dual process. That in fact, uh, because of the research around mirror neurons and modeling and relational modeling and what I might call relational co-regulation, that's your ability to be regulated by another person, yep. um, that uh, this is dual process and that yes, we want teachers to teach this stuff and these strategies well, but teachers are models of adulthood and teachers must mirror the people that we want our students to become. Uh, we, you know, I think a lot in terms of advertisement, like, mm. you know, is, is, is getting in it, working hard and getting an education and sticking to things with perseverance. Like, is it worth it? You know? And I think that teachers need to show students that I myself am de-escalated. I myself have resilient strategies and we're in this together and I'm constantly working on myself as a path of self-development and I'm also working hard for you as a teacher. Uh, and and our, like I said, our vulnerable students, all of our students, but certainly teenagers, they, can, they, they know who's there for them. And so yes. we, we give a personal charge through our work that a lot of people find quite energizing. Yes, yeah. Um, Tom, the Berry Street education model is incorporates the principles of positive psychology. I just wondered if you could explain for those listening who might not be familiar with positive psychology, what positive psychology is and oh, yeah. what, how, how it's important when working with traumatised students. Oh, I love this question. <laughs> I write a lot about this question. This is my research now. So thank you for the opportunity. Oh, you're welcome. I'd love so to I love this question because positive psychology is, is, I would like to say the field is really reaching maybe a second or third stage of maturity where the, 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 the early theorizing uh, around over a decade ago now, in the year 2000, yep. uh, is reaching a, a quite robust maturity. And I love, I love science because science does that. Science is trying to pull things apart and put them back together based on practices uh, and, and, uh, and innovation in the field. So here we are. Positive psychology, I would like to say, is the empirical study of well-being. That before the year 2000, when you looked at how do people flourish and use their strengths and their growth mindset and their emotional intelligence? Often the people studied in those studies were people who had mental health, um, mental health struggle. And wow. so it, the, 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 the border, the, no, the, that's a bizarre word, borderline. Uh, the line that's set down in the year 2000 um, is to say, you know what, we can really learn a lot by studying people who are well and want to flourish. So suddenly that study of what, what helps well being, uh, human beings uh, become more of who they want to be, that becomes the science of positive psychology in a nutshell. Now, positive education is the integration of the best of what we know around interventions for well-being and, and applying that to the school. So I do want to put a caveat out there, and this is my own caveat, is it makes me a little nervous when people say, oh, positive psychology, we're doing that, or we've done that. Uh, and, 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 and I hope you can understand through my brief explanation that uh, 
it's it's it, it worries me when I hear that because a, it makes it sound like that school is going to do it this year and then move on or change something, mm, or and that it has a beginning and an end. That's a right. definitive beginning and an end. That's yes. right. When I'd rather describe positive psychology as a project, as a research project that goes on, and we uh, are continually pushing it forward. So, what a school's responsibility is is to be a smart consumer, and what what I mean by that is uh, when a school wants to integrate something into their whole school approach or teaching practice. We want schools to, uh, school leaders to look at the evidence, uh, to think about their own context, to be very careful about, um, you know, are we just lifting something right out of a psych lab into the classroom? And are we thinking about all the differentiated student needs and all the complex unmet needs of the students? Um, and that's where Barry Street has a role to play. So what we've been thinking a lot about was Yes, so positive psychology and positive education has made enormous contribution to our understanding of character strengths, mm -hmm. growth mindset, emotional intelligence, resilience, flow and engagement, um, uh, and a number of other topics. There's probably, you know, a school's kind of take on those five as the first tab off the rank often. Um, and what we found is a lot of those strategies, such as growth mindset, mindfulness those are what we might call cortically mediated skills meaning you've got to be pretty well regulated to sit in your chair and listen to the teacher and follow their directions to be able to practice some of these great interventions and the schools that we were working with um you know who are really um meeting the needs of some very vulnerable communities mm. and some very dysregulated students. Sure. Um, I found myself talking some of those teachers off cliffs, right? Where they would say, gosh, Tom, I've tried the mindfulness. Doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> work. Mindfulness doesn't work because when I teach 40 students, which is often the case nowadays, when <laughs> one person is teaching 40 students mindfulness and they're not sure how to do it, we know that the front two rows of students are doing the mindfulness. Those four over there are on their phones. Those three there over there are throwing something. And those seven over the, at the back just walked out of the room. Yeah. And then the teacher, you know, feels like he or she is a failure or that the mindfulness is not appropriate. Now, I got to say, we are mindfulness super fans, right? We know that it's some of our most dysregulated students that must have the opportunities to practice what we might call those, you know, those beautiful micro moments of Zen, like they need to know what it feels like in their mind and body and their mind body connection. Uh, those micro moments of not feeling that buzzed up feeling or that adrenaline or cortisol mm. up feeling. So we don't want teachers to give up on that. But we do want teachers to understand, there are a number of things they need to do in their classroom before effectively teaching these top-down or cortically mediated skills. Right. So for instance, I would not spend an hour trying to teach resilient self-talk skills to a classroom if the classroom was totally dysregulated and they did not have a culture of stamina to work and they didn't have a culture of personal de-escalation. So we have, in a sense, developmentally reordered the project of positive education and really thought carefully about trauma-informed practice. So I'd like to see now for vulnerable classrooms, two sides of a coin mm -hmm. that in fact, one side of that coin is trauma-informed practice, the other side is positive education. And where I think um, 
Whereas trauma-informed positive behavior support is a critical and important piece of this pie to help schools. Um, what I find, and please correct me, is yeah, that no, the, go ahead. The, yep. the, early, the, the early focus for a classroom or a teacher with TIPBS is really looking at the specific needs of a student and creating very clear positive behavior support plans. Yes. And when, when does the student, when, you know, instead of looking at a deficit view of the student, mm -hmm. the question really is when is the student succeeding? Yes. What are they well, yes. Doing when they're, when they are in their strong cortical mediated state and are ready to go. Well, yep. we have taken that as our foundation and thought we still need to answer a question, which is what can one teacher do with 30 or 40 students? Yes. Time? Yes. How can we support teacher strategies to live into the values of a TIPBS, but still maintain strong, healthy classroom management? So here's our developmental approach. <laughs> it can be a while to get there. No, it's great. Um, yeah. Okay, all right. So we have designed our work into five key domains. And you will now feel the research base coming through these five domains. So this is the Barry Street Education model. Okay, great. The first domain we call the body. And we are we called it the body very specifically because we when I was a teacher, when I was becoming a teacher, no one ever told me that my students' heads were connected to something and that something was their body. And so as a teacher, I was thinking, okay, how do I increase their cognitive load? Yep. How do I increase their learning? But I never really thought about that. You know, if, if you're teaching, if you're trying to teach someone who is totally adrenaline out, then you're only getting like 2% of that person. So mm -hmm. you really need to bring them into the room, into their bodies. Uh, to, to, to strengthen this piece of our work, we looked at the research on post-traumatic growth and the kinds of things that people reported helped them grow from traumatic experiences. Well, it turns out body is an important piece of that because the body stores trauma non-verbally. Mm. And so if we're not addressing interventions for the body itself in the classroom, then we are not supporting the developmental approach to learning. Another part of this is we will say the classroom from a trauma-informed perspective can be seen as a healing intervention itself because a lot of our students for systemic reasons are not getting the clinical care that they really deserve and need mm -hmm. through systemic reasons. Like it would be lovely for every one of our kids in care home-based care or residential care yep. to have regular support and psych support. But for a number of reasons, they're not, they don't get to the appointments or, you know, the community struggles to mm. provide those services. And that's so, the same here too, Tom. It's, um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So ideally it'd be great. Yeah. So what we find as teachers are, our loving, uh, our loving community sees it as their job and it is their job because often they're the only people who see these kiddos regularly and yeah. are there for them. So we put the body first. In the body domain, we talk about de-escalation, self-regulation, uh, what we call being present-centered and grounded, and mindfulness. All skills that we want the teacher to put into play to bring the body into a unified state so that they can take on the next, uh, the next bit of strategies to build their learning. So the second domain we call relationship. And in our work, we 
we have narrowed our thinking about relationship uh, in that we don't teach people how to get to know each other, teachers, no. how to get to know me, but we think a lot about what we call the micro moments of classroom management that, you know, my secondary teacher friends will say, Tom, I've got 180 students and I yep. do not have an hour to walk all of them around the oval. And we say, yep, totally. Um, you don't need an hour because that you don't have that hour anyway, but you do have micro moments with each one of them. And from the positive psychology research on building positive emotions and positive interaction that occur between you and me, yep. we can capitalize on those moments. And we do that through classroom management. So it's all about how do you non-verbally attach to a student and co-regulate them? How do you not argue with students? How do you show yeah. them that you're empowered uh, and will listen to them, but also that you will not be pushed over because our students who have been trauma affected for quite their whole life, some of them, they've learned that when I don't get my own way, I just scream a lot louder. And when I don't get my own way, I can stage a very scary baby attack in the classroom yes. <laughs> and I can start weaving people around me in, in, uh, in a hypervigilant, in a, in a chaotic way, and I own the chaos. And so yep. we want teachers to understand that thing that that kid's doing, that's actually a strength because, well, some people will call that manipulation. We call that survival. So that yeah. kid is doing that thing not just in your classroom, but he's doing it all over the place in his life. But it's in your safe classroom that he feels like he can push the gas pedal and try the boundary. Yeah. So we want teachers to hold safe, clear, rhythmic boundaries, uh, but at the same time build a relationship. So that's what we call it, relationship. The three other domains that follow on start echoing in a developmental order positive education so the next domain we call stamina and that's helping our students build the stamina for independent and group learning so that is where we've put our skills and strategies around self i'm sorry resilience emotional okay, intelligence yep. growth mindset and then finally character strengths and our character domain uh really answers this need that we found that uh certainly when we asked our young people who had been excluded from education, what are your strengths? Well, we often received a heartbreaking answer. Well, I don't have any. I mean, yeah. you know, my school, I don't know. I, I don't, know, I don't do yeah. well. I, I'm dumb and I, and I have never been told him that I have any strengths, so I don't have any. And so we realized that we know we've been successful at the end of our time with the student if we can ask them that question, what are your strengths? And the correct answer for us is when a young person says, oh, you know, I got strengths. I, I skateboard a lot with friends. And because of skateboarding, I've been able to develop social intelligence, gratitude, resilience, and perseverance. And those are the strengths that I want to bring to my next stage of education or my work placement or whatever it is. So we're constantly thinking of ways and strategies to connect what the research is telling us around a strengths-based way of working with the kids' reality. I mean, clearly the kids, our students need to feel that we're speaking in a way that relates to them. And so the job of the teacher is to constantly make those connections. Mm. Oh, thank you for that. Um, Tom, what do you what do you think about the 
the role, and I know it's an integral part of the system, but of the uh, disciplinary actions and disciplinary action that we have in schools, like suspensions and their impact on these traumatised students and how they think and feel about education? Well, you're, you're giving me very big questions today. I like that. <laughs> now, now I'll tell you, this, uh, that one question uh, is, a, uh, is, a, is a keynote of mine. I love talking about this because in New York, I was, uh, for a long time, I was the dean of students. So often I would say I was the uh, loving bad cop of the school. Oh, yes. Trying to body block all of the drama from the principal. Uh, and, and through that, I became an anger expert and had to manage my own anger. Often yes. Because I had, you know, I, I, my heart broke a little bit when I saw things I didn't want to see. So anyway, okay, here we go. Your question is a very complex thing. Mm. What I'm not going to say is a simple answer because it's not simple. No. I don't want any school leader or educator to think that it is. I would ask, I would rather position a couple of things for your uh, students here. Sure. We often talk about a balance between restorative practice and fair consequences or fair processes. And we find that some, that some schools have tipped the balance. And so we get worried if a school has tipped so far toward restorative practices that there aren't enough fair and restore, I mean, fair consequences in a school because we know that our students are very street kiddos. They get really good at the restorative practice conversation. Yes. You know, voices and feelings and they go, yeah, yeah, I totally understand the impact of my behavior on that person. And then, and then teachers say, but we've had 15 restorative conversations by week four. And so that's not really working. Yep. And we also understand if you have been off task for 40 minutes in the classroom, that means you have not done your work, you have bothered other people, like you're not getting your work done and then you're not learning. And that gives you that I am dumb feeling and it's actually making it worse. So we help schools re-engineer the mechanisms for both that important restorative conversation, but also what we know around trauma's impact on learning is that when you have experienced uh, what I might call life's darkness, yep. you become quite expert at spotting other people's inconsistency and kicking open that wedge. And so our students are absolutely, some of them are moving through the school day looking for those teacher inconsistency and then yes. realizing nobody's holding me accountable. So a lot of schools have a rule that say no cell phones, no mobile phones. But you know that in a secondary school, <laughs> seven different teachers are going to have seven different expectations around that. Yes. And the first, the first teacher is going to say, you know the rule, please put the phone away. The second teacher is going to overdo it and grab the phone, creating a drama. The third teacher is going to ignore it. The fourth teacher is also going to ignore it. And then the fifth teacher of the day says, can you please put your phone away? And that's when the student has a total explosion. And we don't blame the student at that point because the teachers have been totally inconsistent with the expectations. Um, I'd love to share this with your viewers. And if they're taking notes, please write this down. Yep. Uh, the most dysregulated students are crying out for the most predictability. And in fact, in our work, we love saying this phrase. I want to make bumper stickers that say <laughs> un unpredictability equals risk. So 
you know, when a group of teachers is inconsistent with these expectations, that's unpredictable. That feels actually, at first it feels like a party for the students. They like that because yeah. they're like, oh, you know, you can get away with uh, this stuff. And now in this class, you don't have to do any of your work because the teacher's not even checking it. Then they come into a next class with, with the, that poor teacher is trying to hold expectations. It's not fair to her. Anymore. So we do think a lot about how do we have the healthy expectation to restore what's happened in the relational breakdown between mm -hmm. teacher student or teacher teacher or student student but also how do we help schools support the finishing of work the expectations of when you break a rule we need to support you now what are we saying we are not talking about exclusion um and i do know in a perfect world we would never have a student be sitting alone but we would have the personnel to be sitting side by side co-regulating supporting the student and saying you're not being punished right now we absolutely are gonna do everything we have to do to get you to finish your work and also practice a few strategies. So tomorrow, you're not gonna be sitting here again. So I guess my complex answer to a complex question is, I am looking at taking old structures and making them therapeutically informed, well-being informed, so we can do what we need to do with the kiddo, but also help them uh, meet their own needs so in our work we talk a lot about meeting your own needs is the job of the school and if we can do that well then our students can meet their own needs in healthy ways once they leave us right well thank you i think we're we have just one more question so tom what do you see being the major barriers to schools and teachers adopting trauma-informed approaches Oh, I like your questions. Today. <laughs> I'll tell you, um, there's a lot of there are a lot of concerns, but I am going to take it straight to our experience. So, um, I'm going to say it's the quality of leadership. Right. And there are two things that I'm looking for in schools, and certainly. We're Barry Street, so we help vulnerable communities. So sure. we certainly don't say no to a community uh, because these things are not in play. No. But, I, if, but to your school leaders or people studying to be school leaders, let me tell you, everybody wants to know, okay, so we've done the training, we've learned from you guys, we've done the reading, how mm -hmm. do we sustain and embed this work? Yes, yep. That's the question, right? That's what you're asking. Yep. I would like to say, ish, uh, number one, we are looking for a culture of classroom feedback and observation. Now, this is uh, something that is a, I would say, an effort that all of us are trying to increase. And I like telling principals there's no substitute for leadership and peer leaders and, and teaching peers to see each other teach. Mm. Because if you are in isolation, then you don't get the feedback. You don't get the positive feedback and you don't get the fix it feedback you wanna see. And so I think it's pretty naive of school leaders to think we're gonna do the PL, we're gonna cross our fingers and hope everybody just left to their own devices is doing their best. Because I know as a person who's done this for a really long time, yeah. I still love getting the feedback and our team constantly is the feedback giving machine. So creating cultures of feedback is often what we help principals do when they realize that, you know, we'll ask a confrontational question sometimes, which is, when was the last time you saw your third grade teacher teach? 
And yes. uh, often the school leader will say, gosh, you know, and I'm going to be honest with you, it was a year and a half ago. I will say that in New York, we had uh, an intense and rigorous culture because as school leaders, we really got into our classrooms once a week. Right. And it was hard and it was intense. But because of that frequency of supportive observation, supportive feedback, I'd like to think our teachers are opening their doors saying, oh, come on, give it to me, I'm ready. <laughs> so that's, that's an important part of this. Also, I think the, that leadership, the second piece of this is that leadership lives the change that we want to see. That leaders are the, are the leading learners in the room, that leaders are modeling everything that they want their teachers to do. And so, again, just like vulnerable students can smell out authenticity, I think that a school community knows when their leader is themselves the leading learner. And that's, uh, that's the vital behavior I think is pretty important. Mm. Well, thank you, Tom. Is there um, anything, you know, else that you think that we, we need to know other than what, what I've asked and what we've discussed? It's been really, really wonderful. Is there? Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I'd like to, if I may, cause you yes. Great. <laughs> you give me such a great... No, go ahead. It's... I mean, this is part of what, what we do. I mean, I'd love to share that the real project of the Berry Street education model is twofold based on our values. And I hope that this is useful to people out there. And uh, as we're always trying to uh, collect kindred spirits uh, that also believe in the same things we do, this is what we believe in. Number one, we think that uh, all students do pretty well when their classrooms are potentially trauma-informed, well-being-informed, strengths-based classrooms. Mm -hmm. that, uh, that there are beautiful people out there who have these classrooms, these gems called strengths-based classrooms, that they can they can catch that micro moment before, you know, when that micro moment of like the kid saying, this is stupid and I'm not going to do this. That's a micro moment. And they know how to hold that student well in that moment to stop it from becoming a super drama. Those are the classrooms that we're trying to bolster through Australia. And then the second is our, our the second part of our project is we are looking to support and raise up a conscious community. Uh, I like the words consciousness and conscientiousness. And I think that those are two words that our students can't hear enough. And our definition of that is, uh, has a few pieces to that. And I'd love to share that because we love this stuff so much. One is uh, the ability to increase your focus. And uh, I think you'd agree in this world, uh, there are so many things pulling our students away from their ability to focus, that we see it as a primary goal of our work to increase someone's ability to focus. Also manage your own distractions. And then also, and then finally, we wanna balance the care and service to the self and self-care as an important part of well-being and the care and service to others and the contribution that we give to our communities. And we think that if those balances are, are are constantly uh, in a self-reflective practice of ours, then we're doing a pretty good job. Thank you. So thank you, Tom, for speaking with us today. It's been really, really wonderful. And I'm sure that the listeners are grateful for all of that wonderful wisdom and advice. It's just, you. you know, so much, well, to us, so much new material and so much learning. And um, yeah, 
were there any, uh, just another quick question, were there any resources that you, um, you know, are foremost in your mind that you could direct our listeners to or any, any resources that you think might be helpful? Sure. I know that's probably putting you on the spot. Oh, but... no, I mean, hey, that's okay. Yeah. I mean, I'll just give a simple plug for our work. So if sure. you look up Berry Street, uh, B-E-R-R-Y-S-T-R-E-E-T, so berrystreet.org.au, um, or our direct webpage within that very big webpage is dsem.org.au, and you can find out much more, see our publications and evaluations and all our other good stuff there. That'd be great. Thanks, Tom. Thanks. Thanks for your groundbreaking work. And I hope oh, you get a chance you. to speak again. It was really, really good. I appreciate so, it. Yeah, thank you. So that was Tom Brunzel from Berry Street in Victoria, Australia. And to access any of those resources Tom has shared, go to that website that he talked about. And we will have any other extra things on the show notes on www tipbs.com so thank you everybody for listening and hopefully we'll see you next time thank you tom thank you kate